Welcome back to another South Pole podcast. My name is Becky Zarzinski and I'm your co-host for today's episode. In today's show, Doyle and I get to interview one of the newly appointed board members, Dakota Blanks of Windy Acres Farm in Appomattox, Virginia. In this episode, Dakota will take us through his pragmatic approach of transitioning into the South Pole breed through his Breed Up program. He'll tell us why he decided on South Poles over other breeds and what characteristics he is noticing in his half-bloods, three-quarters, and purebreds from his Breed Up program. In the second half of the interview, we switch gears a little bit and start talking soil health. He takes us through some of the strategies and practices he's been implementing on his own farming operation to improve the productivity of his soils, which in some of his fields were as low as 0.8% organic matter, but are now testing up to 2 to 3%. He shares the principles that have been working best for him on his operation, which are having the right animal impact, adequate rest periods, and a little bit of seed. So let's take a listen into Dakota's South Pole story. Dakota, tell us about your farm, your location, maybe a little bit about yourself and your background in agriculture. All right. I am... uh... So my name is Dakota Blanks. We're located in Appomattox, Virginia. Um, So we're South Central Virginia, um, just kind of in the Piedmont region of the Appalachian Mountains there. Um, Currently we're running about 110, somewhere around there, brood cows um, on our farm here. And we also do some backgrounding of our calves. as well as retaining some heifers and growing them out and saving bulls back as well. Um, We've got somewhere around 500 acres that we either own or lease. Uh, 300 and a few acres are in grassland, um, whether it's perennial pasture, perennial cool seasons, uh, native warm seasons, or we've got a few acres in annuals as well. So you're right on that one to three uh, ratio, three acres to one cow. Yeah, there, somewhere around whatever. there. I always say cow because mama's going to raise a calf or she's supposed to every year and she might actually have two in the works, but I find that kind of interesting, you being on the eastern seaboard. we um, I, I had a lot more and I was running that closer to uh, – two, two and a half acres. And we went through, you know, a pretty good drought last year that set us back. So I called out a lot of cows um, and trying to get that stocking density um, per acre down a little bit just to uh, save some ground and let, let's see how it regrows back this year. Well, you'll have to uh, keep us posted on that. Does the profitability go up with fewer cows? I think there's kind of a sweet spot in there. Anyway, go into your uh background maybe in agriculture to kind of finish up there so my background started in ag was probably mostly uh all tobacco related so i grew up in a uh, tobacco family and that's about all i knew that agriculture was we didn't have any cattle anything other than a few dogs um like i said we ran tobacco we had a few small grains um that were run around and in really no one around us ran cattle either. Um, If you had a farm, you had tobacco. That was the way it was. Um, When tobacco started phasing out, I moved into 
a uh, horticulture job raising uh, wholesale plants and trees uh, for a wholesale nursery for quite a while. That then led me to back to the tobacco thing. I couldn't couldn't quite step away from that, and I knew tobacco wasn't very profitable at the time. So I started raising produce um, commercially, selling it to stores and you know different retail spots. We did some farmers markets, things like that. And uh, then I realized that was going to kill me because we just didn't have help. Um, it was really hard to find find help for that. And uh, so we moved moved into cattle shortly thereafter, and it was the best move I had made. Um, haven't had cattle, but probably around 10 years, somewhere around there. But in that time, I was able to uh, start working for a seed stock ranch that ran about a thousand head of registered cattle. Um, doing that really for a few years, let me get my hands on a lot of cattle really quick, working them sorting them, figuring out what, what good cattle are and what, what bad cattle are in a short amount of time. So, Becky, you probably know the answer to all these questions. I might have to be the one asking uh, for a minute anyway. Is everybody else in your country then, did they switch to livestock as well? Are you, are you the outsider in a group of traditional when I think of agriculture, having grown up in the Mississippi Delta, I think of row crop, big tractors, burning diesel, you know, green star, row after row. How is it? Are people still farming tobacco? Have they switched? What's going very, on? Very few tobacco farmers left at all. Uh, most people have switched to beef cattle. Um, there's still some some row crop and not, not very much, but beef cattle. And a lot of guys have switched to just making hay and uh selling hay in our area as well so um the the cattle has definitely grown i've moved further east from where i was um when we were in tobacco area and the further east we got out here the more cattle it seemed to uh be around so let's loop back a little bit on your background you said you worked for a pretty big seed stock operation um and obviously when you started getting into cattle did you gravitate towards that breed, assuming that it was the Angus breed at first? Yeah, it, uh, I guess I started with some, some Simmental Sim Angus heifers. That's what a neighbor had. He said, hey, you should buy these. I said, all right, we did, got into it. And uh, then after a year or two, I started working for the seed stock. They did completely 100% uh, black Angus. And so, yeah, I followed those traits for a while, um, but it really opened my eyes up to what was wrong with the cattle I was running. Um, they were big 1,500-pound black cattle that just needed a ton of inputs. Um, when we worked, you know, cattle at the ranch, it was a daily thing of fixing feet, um, fixing just all sorts of problems with these cattle that were just getting babied by us and they still couldn't handle it. And that's when I started noticing, I think I'm in the wrong breed here uh, because I quickly realized that with all the cattle I had, I had, I had moved to about 200 head of brood cows at that point. Um, I couldn't make it 
they couldn't make it. They were falling to pieces. Um, it just just really wasn't wasn't what I had intended. It, it worked on paper a lot of times, but it never worked out in real life. So is that when you started looking for a different breed that was going to actually fit what you were trying to accomplish on your farm? Yeah, so we started um, rotationally, you know, moving some cattle around a little bit uh, from that conventional, moving them two or three times a year to, uh, I'm going to start moving them a month or two. Uh, when, I, when a pasture got down a little low, we'd start moving them. And then I started really going to some of these grass-based classes, learning how to move cattle. I said, okay, we're, we're going to give this a shot. So I took those 200 head and we started putting them on two or three acres, you know, four acres, whatever the forage I had and moving them every day. And that's when the problems really started. Um, the cattle could not handle the close quarters. They couldn't handle having the whole farm to pick uh, the best forage from. And I started culling hard. Uh, they, they wouldn't get rebred back. It was, it was extremely stressful for me because I was watching my cow herd just get depleted very fast. And that's when I said, you know, something's got to change. If I'm going to stay in this business, I, I've got to change something. And I think it's the cattle. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because we're always geared around, you know, learning, teaching people, sharing information. And for somebody maybe listening that, that hasn't tried that, hasn't experienced, they know maybe a little bit what to expect now just from what you just entailed there. When you make drastic changes like that, you may have some fallout. One thing I was wondering, you mentioned a lot of the farmers moving to hay. You know, maybe they've been doing that 20 years already. But I remember, uh, I think it was John Lyons told me that he had a pasture that was 6% organic matter. Just happened to test it. <clears throat> Cut hay one time. Tested it again. I think he dropped 4% on one cutting. So when you look at things like that, whether I, I'm right in what I remember or not, it was mind-blowing the percentage of organic matter that we lost one season of cutting hay or even one cutting. You know, it, hay doesn't look like it's the way to go. And I think we know that. But what do you see happening in your area? Um. Well, that's funny. So, like I said, the folks that were in tobacco are raising hay. Um, what you have to remember about tobacco is tobacco is a very forgiving crop. Um, you can raise pretty good tobacco with poor, poor ground. Um, hay, on the other hand, is, is not that simple. Um, I think some, some guys are probably struggling pretty hard with, the, uh, with, with making hay and making a profit at it. Uh, we don't make any hay. I do have some hay ground that we lease that we get custom cut um, for us, but we don't own any, own any hay equipment. I don't intend on doing that either. My main goal is to get to never feed a bale of hay again if, if that's an option. It's not, but, but that's the option I'm striving for anyway. Oh, that's a great goal. And with the snow in your area, you probably, you know, you may need some from time to time, but I think you'll be strictly forage based. Go ahead, Becky. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I know Dakota and I, our farms are only like an hour apart. Um, so, but we still have fairly different uh, climates, I guess. We have about a 10 degree difference, even though, you know, I'm more up in the Shenandoah Valley and Dakota's more in the Piedmont region, which is always kind of warmer and sometimes drier. I know last year I had <laughs> a lot more rain and, um, 
so I know that the environment's different, but obviously we both have South Pole and they're both thriving in both of our environments, which just kind of goes to the adaptability of this breed also. I mean, and can you talk a little bit about the adaptability of the breed that you've noticed, Dakota, especially when it comes to you started doing the rotational grazing, you were finding out that what you had was not working, it could not handle what you wanted to accomplish. And so you obviously went and started trying to find South Pole. Is that right? Well, I went in search of any breed that worked. Um, and I had looked at Devons and, you know, all, all sorts of different things out there. Um, and I went to a grazing conference. And in fact, I think Mr. Zinsky there was uh, giving a PowerPoint on the South Pole cow. And it didn't really click with me. I, I thought she was talking about red poles. And I'm like, well, they're probably not going to work for me. Um, and then I saw South Pole again, and I said, maybe I should check these out. So I pulled up some information on them, liked what I saw online. I think I'd seen a video by Teddy um, and maybe something from Greg Judy at this point about what, what they might be. So I went and actually your herd was the first ones I saw. And the day I left to come up there, I remember looking at my cattle and I had, you know, it was... 125 plus head of cattle over in the tree line sitting there dying at 10 o'clock in the morning just just looked miserable and it just made me angry because I thought I said I only make money when these cows graze and nobody was grazing they were just sitting there it was it was no fun for anyone um then I got up to y'all's place and I saw the cattle out grazing I said well it's probably a few degrees cooler um and you had some black cattle at the time and you could tell they were closer to the shade line, but all the red ones were out there grazing. And that right there, and they looked they looked content. Um, I remember it was probably 85 degrees and they looked, you know, just content out there eating. And that was a huge, huge turning point for me was seeing these red slick hided animals grazing while everything I had was standing up under a tree. Um, and so that was, that was a big part of it. Um, Looking into it a little bit further, I said, well, these guys are all on fescue. I said, I have fescue, and I need my cattle to work on fescue. And quite frankly, with the breeds that I had before, they didn't work. They just absolutely did not work on fescue. We got a ton of what we called fescue foot, fescue ear, um, stuff not breeding back. The fertility was just dropping down as fast as you could go. We couldn't get anything AI bred. Um, it was just, it was really tough. But seeing those cattle graze that day really flipped something for me. And uh, just seeing that the cattle just generally seemed more content and, and happier to be out there than any of my cattle did, period. Okay, so you explained the problem. You saw that. What'd you do next? Did you call Tim the trucker and haul them all to the sale barn? Did you breed up? Did you run them side by side to see what, what would happen next? Or tell us about that. You got me curious now. Well, so the next thing was I tried to find some South Poles and that was pretty hard to do in my area. Uh, Glenn and Becky were the only ones with them. And I think I came close to begging uh, to buy a few just to see. And they did, they sold me five and I put them straight out with my herd after uh, keeping them separated for a couple weeks, put them out with the herd, and same results. I saw the red cows out grazing and all the black ones under the trees. 
Um, in this same time, I was doing some preg checks on mine for uh, the fall calvers, and anything that wasn't bred got called out, got called out fast. Um, if it had a limp from what I called fescue foot, uh, it got called out fast. Um, looking at the shaggy coats, I started calling those out pretty fast. Um, so my herd dropped substantially very quickly after doing that. Um, I still ran a Simmental bull over those, those original South Poles, and those calves were amazing calves. They, they were a lot bigger than most of my South Pole calves now, but they were still slick-hided um, and did, did really well for what they were. Um, I saw Dave Roberts had posted something, and I had never talked to him before about uh, they were weaning some calves and percentage of cow to calf body weight. And I had never thought about it like that. And so I called him and, and you know, was talking to him and he said, yeah, you know, they're 50, some of them up to 60% of their body weight weaning a calf on fescue and this and that. And I said, uh, well, if I can, I'd like to come, come see them. And he said, absolutely. And I think I went down two days later to uh, go look at, look at the herd and look at some bull calves he had for sale and we made a deal on one of the bull calves down there right then and there and that was the moment I really took the switch I said that that's it we're uh it's time to change and have slowly started breeding up since then um to just move move all these black cattle into slick-hided red efficient animals that's awesome that's awesome to hear and thanks for sharing that kind of that progression that you went through. Um, I think probably a lot of our listeners are going to be all over what you just said, because I think, um, I think where we've gone with our cattle these days, um, we, we are starting to see that inefficiency coming out. And uh, especially with inflation going on, we're all having to scramble around trying to find animals that can be efficient on lower inputs. And that's going to be a huge turning point, I think, for a lot of farmers. And, and personally, I'm, I know I'm touting about the South Pole, but, you know, we've been in it for a while and I, I've seen it time and time again. But let's go on the other side of that. Are there any disadvantages with the breed that you've seen so far over the course of, it's been five years now since you've kind of gotten into it, um, I know, obviously, for us here in Virginia, being a red-hided animal is not um, something that's usually beneficial, but um, how are you handling any of the disadvantages that you're seeing? Uh, so most everybody uh, thinks, thinks that we're crazy um, that surrounds us. We are, we are surrounded by 99.9% .9 black cattle. Um, so anybody around us thinks we're crazy. He said, if you take them to the market, you're not going to get anything for them. And they're, they're absolutely right on that. Um, at our local market, red cattle do not sell. Um, they sell for pennies of what, what black cattle would, uh, no matter what their condition. But the biggest disadvantage is not being able to find as many as I could. You know, I, I was ready to buy 50, 60, 80 of these things if I could, and it was just kind of impossible um, so there again, we started using bulls and doing the breed up program and it has worked pretty, pretty awesome. Um, as far as our marketing and those kind of strategies that some people would call a problem, it, it has been nothing but great for us. We have found all sorts of buyers from all over the country that want our South Pole steers, that want 
our crossbred South Pole steers, heifers, you name it. There's there's a fantastic market. Um, we found a lot of grass finishers in north of Virginia, so Pennsylvania, New York, those areas that that are really uh, wanting big groups of South Pole cross calves. So that that was probably the biggest disadvantage was quite frankly, just what am I going to do with with all these these calves? I need that efficient cow herd, but the calves have to go somewhere. Dakota, you mentioned breeding up with bulls. Excellent strategy. Recommend it to anybody for the reasons you just mentioned. But, you know, your first cross is your half blood, your second is your three quarter, your third is your seven eighths, 15 sixteenths, so on. You know, some people don't maybe put that together, but what do you see changing obviously your half blood do they look like south poles do the the three quarters do those look like south poles or kind of tell us what do you see there as you start putting bulls on random cattle what does the offspring do in each generation so the biggest thing i think i notice is um frame size so a lot of these cattle are just big anywhere from six to seven frame uh cattle and once I put that South Pole bull on them it's bringing them down they're probably hitting that that five frame somewhere around there on that first half blood cross they're also a lot slicker um when I you get down to three quarters they're they're starting anywhere from that four to five frame it looks like um to the seven eighths they're down to a three frame is which is where I'm trying to go um but that three frame they're packed full of meat i mean they they have a lot of mass all over them um on a on a smaller framed animal um the again the the fly resistance on these shorter coated slick hided animals has been a huge huge benefit for us just using bulls on the first cross um i won't say that i've seen a tremendous um cut in pink eye or anything like that um i can just say that i've seen a tremendous uh amount of fewer flies per animal that is either south pole or south pole crossed um with those but as the the first cross from some of our original cows probably makes some of some of the best steers out there honestly they, uh, like I said, they're bringing down frame size, but they're really packing on pounds and they're getting that extra punch of heterosis going that they're just finishing out really nice for people, it seems like. Are you personally finishing out any of your own animals at this point, Dakota? Just a few, very few. We're, we'll do enough for myself and my family. Um, I really want to perfect or get as close to perfection on my uh, cow calf operation before I add on anything else. Um, I don't like to do a bunch of things halfway. I'd rather rather do one really well before I step into another program. I've had um, some grass finished beef that I've finished and some from folks around me and I, I didn't enjoy it, didn't like it. And the grass finished beef that I had was from people who really just dove all in with it and they catered to these animals, um, put the right forages in front of them that really made high quality beef. And I don't know that we have the time to do that right now. So we're gonna stick to just the cow calf operation. 
All right, folks, I'm going to interrupt Dakota's interview really quick. I'll be super fast. I just needed to make sure that all the listeners here today knew about an amazing event taking place this summer. That is the 14th annual South Pole Field Day and Cattle Auction happening June 24th and 25th in Roseland, Louisiana at Fourth Quarter Ranch. Now, if you've never been to a South Pole Field Day before, you need to come. If you have South Poles, if you're interested in South Poles, you need to come to this event because I'm, I'm telling you, I every time I leave this event, I'm super pumped about the breed. I'm super pumped about soil health, and I'm super pumped about getting back home to try some of these new found knowledge of pr- practices and principles on my own operation. So this event is a two-day event, and it's only $50. Only $50, folks. That's kind of unheard of these days. So go ahead, get yourself registered. Go to southpole.com, hit the events tab, and it literally takes you 60 seconds to get registered. Go ahead and do it now. Just put this podcast on pause. Go do it because I guarantee you, you will not be sorry. All right, folks, without further ado, let's get started into Dakota's second half of his interview. So this time of the year, um, we're transitioning into spring, obviously, down here in Georgia. I usually figure sometime in March, about the 1st of March, we're going to start seeing grass. Depending on the rain, the sun, how much cloud cover. It actually, just looking at the sheep here a few minutes ago, we got a really cold snap. And I don't think our grass is that washy. We are actually out on spring break for a week and came back. And a lot of what the pasture we just put the sheep on is it's got a lot of that frost burn. So it's going to be toughened up just a little bit. At least that's what it kind of looked like to me. But what are you doing right now? What's going on on your farm? Are you transitioning in the spring? How, do, how are you moving in? And you mentioned burning grass earlier um, when we were talking. What, what are you doing? Are you burning dead grass or are you round up? Uh, I mean, so we have, from the there? if you're burning grass, that's, that's roundup. <laughs> no. Uh, so right now, as far as uh, taking care of the grass, we've got a lot of uh, warm season grasses that we've planted, some gamma grass, switchgrass, things like that. Um, probably should have burned it a little bit earlier um, or clipped it down. Uh, I'm trying this year just to clip and see how it responds to clipping the dead off because a lot of our switchgrass is still three feet tall um, in places as well as the gamma grass. Um, Everybody recommends burning it. I'm not a big fan of burning it. I think it burns up some organic matter laying on the ground. So we're just gonna go ahead and clip it this year. Um, we try to leave it as long as we can, just for the other other wildlife that's on the farm, the rabbits, the birds, all those things, just so they have some winter cover. Now that grass and plants are starting to grow back, we'll go ahead and clip it. It may stunt some of our forage back a little bit, but it works for, for us for most of the time. Um, we are right now, we're coming out of hay season. We've got some really good growth on grass. We're probably within 10 days of getting out and grazing full time. Um, right now, I'm supplementing probably a third of their uh, ration with hay. The rest of it is on some stockpile fescue that's held up really well that's starting to green up right now. The biggest problem with feeding just hay for us now on a sacrifice pasture is keeping them in the fence, keeping them from 
crossing over into that little bit of lush green grass that's on the other side of the fence. So we're trying to feed some really high quality hay and give them just a little bit of green grass to keep them uh, occupied for the day until we're ready to get out there on, on pasture full time. Your switchgrass being three foot tall yet, I observed something really cool. And I don't know, I don't know if this is scientific or not, but as we were rotating livestock across fescue this year, um, we got a light snow and it sort of insulated a paddock and the grass was taller. And in that paddock, they would have eaten some of it off the top. And I, I thought they had it cleaned up fairly well and we moved them. Later, I realized that the green was eaten off the top of the fescue and sheep are real good about picking it off. Cattle clean, can, you can make them clean it up quite well if you want to strip it, you know, completely off. But they left a lot of the brown and it insulated the soil, in my opinion. And I noticed later that that green that had been completely trimmed off, brown left, but all these brown mounds of fescue clumps, that stuff grew back quicker, even though it was the last grazed. And I think it had to do with ground cover, you know, insulation. So I'm, you know, you're talking warm season, I'm talking cool season, but made me wonder, is that what went on? It'd be really interesting to see some, you know, some studies on that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for us, I know too, in some of these, um, they were fully switchgrass and I'm kind of transitioning them back to fescue uh, because we've added some more native warm season in other areas. So I want to get the warm season clipped back and let the fescue kind of take over to kind of uh, not push it all out, but, but be the majority fescue in, in this, these few fields that we're doing it to. That's interesting. A lot of people are trying to get rid of fescue <laughs> and here other folks are, you know, we, I think it's a love-hate relationship with fescue, but when you have cattle that can handle a little better, it's not as much of a hate <laughs> relationship because at this time of year and during the winter, obviously that's like the best forage you can have on your field. So that's, you, you need it on your farm to make it through. That was another big switch was if, I'm going to have animals here. They have to eat what I have and I've got fescue. We don't, we don't have the funds or ability really to spray out all of our grass, kill it and plants uh, something else. We're going to, we're going to graze whatever comes up. And right now it's majority fescue. We do have a lot of bluegrass and different clovers and things like that. You know, last year we had one day that I counted was like 17 different species out there in in one spot and it's to me it's awesome i mean it's it's amazing i love fescue i just love cows that work well on it if they don't they they take a ride so for the people that are new to fescue i think a lot of the problems from fescue come from cattle that maybe aren't adapted to it which we talk about black cattle needing to be in the ponds in the shade yeah three or four days on bad infected fescue and you can have major problems you talk about fescue foot fescue ear losing the switch you know really bad cases they'll lose their ears and their feet and you know i hope that nobody somebody new never gets to experience that but cattle being adapted that's one thing but a lot of what i don't know when it changed in america and we started using commercial fertilizers we also started planting one species, you know, because we could manage it better. And now mm -hmm. we're seeing the fallacy of that. We're going the other way. And when you can mix, like you said, we're going to graze what comes up. 
in my opinion, fescue is not the problem at that point when they can mix it. Our cattle have no problem because they're eating a salad buffet. And when it gets hot and it gets dry and the fescue gets bitter, they're going to eat around it. And they need to because you graze fescue down two or three inches in the middle of a drought and it's not going to be there next year. I mean, that's just the long and the short of it. And then what you're going to do, you're going to be feeding hay. Yep, exactly. That's that's a huge benefit of these south poles is the adaptability. We've bought cattle in now that we've found some south poles from, from Florida, from Missouri, Alabama, um, all over the place. And every one of them has really done well um, once arriving over here. Previously, like I talked about the Angus and Simmental, we had brought in cattle from different places and they just struggled. They just absolutely struggled since you know day one of arriving here whereas all of our south pole just hit the ground running they really did whether whether they came off of the uh you know warm season grass down in florida or the same fescue or native rangeland they they have done really well dakota with you being in the piedmont area there what what kind of soil what you know you talked about hay land you talk about tobacco being forgiven i've never really given that a lot of thought are you have you had to prop up your pastures have you had to work with them you know do you have an interest in soil health maybe talk about that a little bit just because it's always interesting to hear somebody in a different area share their experiences it may not work for me it might work for becky you know she's an hour away i'm guessing a little more mountainous you know but maybe we can learn something yeah, so um, we're in a heavy red clay region of Virginia. Um, deep, dark, thick, heavy clay. When we took over the family farm again about, about 10 years ago, the previous renters had used most of it for just hay, but they shipped it all out. They, they grew hay, they sprayed fields, um, they put nitrogen on it every year, they cut hay and they just shipped it out. So when I took our first soil samples, we were about somewhere around 0.8 to 0.9% organic matter on all our fields. Um, we really didn't have much, much at all here. And I didn't have money to fertilize. We tried it one time. That was a complete waste of money. Um, we fertilized, we hit a drought. It was a complete waste of money. I said, I'd never do it again. And I haven't since. Um, I started incorporating just different legumes, anything for poor soil. I would put down any kind of seed out there in the fescue just to see what would grow. Um, and then the rest periods really started taking over. When we, when we started resting the ground, it just seemed like so much diversity started coming up from it that we never planted. We just gave it, gave it the opportunity to, uh, to come out of the ground and, and show itself. And, it's been it's been really cool seeing seeing the ground change. So when you say rest period, um, are you just are you are you? Sometimes I think in terms of Greg Judy, he really hit his soil hard, and maybe somebody's only got twenty cows, and they say, "Well, how do I do that?" Because short of moving them every fifteen minutes, they can't get the same stocking effect. Maybe um, is the rest in period? Does the rest period? almost trump herd effect like do you need to just graze it carefully and then let it extra time to heal and recover or what's what are we talking about there yeah so for me i think the rest period was the biggest factor in um letting the letting the forages come back 
Um, and we're, we're doing a prime example of that right now. We purchased another farm last year that adjoins us. And we had some cows on it last year. I had to buy that herd as well that came with that farm. And it had been continuously grazed for 40 years, all of it. It was nothing but stubble. So we took it out of production. We took the cows off of it and we didn't run any cattle on it um, and haven't since last year. And it has finally just now started to really bounce back. So it, it's taken nearly nine months um, for, that, for that ground to come back. I don't think we'll have to have nearly as long of a rest period coming up after we graze it this year, but just to give that, take some pressure off of it. So it didn't have a huge high density on it, but it just never got a break from being chewed on from a cow. Um, whereas on the farm that we originated with, those rest periods of 30 to 60 days, even if we're just flashing cattle through, we, you know, we were understocked for a long time on those. It, uh, it just seemed like the rest period made a huge, huge difference for us um, as far as just letting the plants get ahead. Even, even so much as I was more concerned on letting the grass build a root system and get ahead than I was on the cattle productivity. Um, they may have suffered a little bit from having, you know, too uh, tough a forage some days and things like that, but it kind of let the air ground bounce back by doing that. So then you say nine months. Um, the, we, we really kind of have a fall growing season and a spring growing season. Like we're, we're far enough east, rainfall temperate that we get almost two growing seasons, if you will, because summer can be real dry, I'm guessing. Yeah. So do you think you got that one growing season and it rested? And now that it's rested, you're catching this second growing season or the next one and it's really taken off? Like, do you think, it could people duplicate what you did by just resting it, maybe a growing season or half of it, or just so that they got a good growth on their plants, a good rest, or what, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think the 30 days on that particular farm worked at all. I mean, we were really dry last year, but we just, some of it never grew back. It's like I took the cows off of it in, in July and it just never grew back until right now. But in the last two weeks, we've had four or five inches of growth on a lot of that, that it never had, it hasn't had four or five inches of growth on it in years. Um, so it's, it's exciting to see it change, even the, the owner, he came back and he was like, wow, like, where did you get all this grass? And I said, we just let it rest. You know, we took some cows off of it for a few days. So it, uh, it just, it blew him away. And it's, it's fun to see that. We've got a certain pasture that was just completely uh, about chest high cedar trees. And so we forestry ground it. Um, it came back. It's got a pH of about 5.1 nothing would grow there except for cedar trees. And I was determined I'm not gonna put down fertilizer and things like that. So we just started planting annuals on it. And we got out of this 12 acre block, we'd run 80 cows on it and we'd get about a day of grazing um, on that 12 acres. The next year we did the same thing. We went from warm season to cool season annuals back and forth. And this is our fourth year with it and uh, we would get, you know, two days of grazing every 90 to 120 days. Last year, we got six days out of it. And 
this year I think is the, the biggest impact I've seen so far. We've got some really nice forages that are bouncing back through there. And it's just through animal impacts, rest, and a little bit of seed. It's pretty awesome to hear that um, you're able to make these changes with such low input because especially again, just to bring it up again with inflation and the price of all fertilizers and everything else just going through the roof. A lot of farmers are looking to say like, how are we gonna even get through this next year? And one thing that I've discussed with some other folks, you know, is like this grazing management can be a huge benefit. Um, but I know sometimes that when you start with this type of grazing strategy, you can have kind of a, a bit of a yield drag and it can take a couple of years to get your soils productive and kind of up and going again. Um, did you see a little bit of a yield drag at all when you started making that transition? Um, is, should that be something that folks should be scared of or you didn't really notice much of it at all? Or what would you suggest for folks who are trying to keep money in their pockets right now? The biggest thing for me was, which is one of the hardest things for me is having patience, um, is letting the ground will heal itself given given the right opportunity and the right tools and those are through through animals um air yield dropped you know it seemed like i i guess because you're taking off um cattle that were grazing it continuously uh so we're not getting anything back immediately but i think our yield is going to double or triple after that rest period, after after letting it sit there, letting some roots grow and some things and come back. And that that seems like it's been the pace with every field that we've tried it in is that take it off, you know, you're you're gonna lose the production of that field for however long, whether it's six months, nine months, something like that. But that production is gonna double itself, it seems like every time after that rest period. I like that pattern that you're talking about. And it sounds like you've maybe done that more than once, but I think, you know, somebody looking to get in, they want to buy that land and then they want to turn around and buy cows. And I'd like to just point out to our listeners that you held off, you bought the land, you removed the cows, you let it recover, you know, let grow too much grass and then get your cattle. Cause you know, you don't really lose too much fertility if you got to get somebody to come bush hog it, but you can really set yourself back by overgrazing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing we tried this year was we took uh, one pasture this winter and it was it was really beat up. And I haven't pulled soil samples off of it yet, but it was pretty beat up. And we put um, about 200 hay bales down on this 40 acres, unrolled them, fed hay, and just let it reseed itself. And it, it doesn't look great right now. It looks like a uh, two inch tall golf course, uh, basically. But I'm excited to see, you can already tell the amount of clover that's starting to pop back through and the life that's coming back out of it. So we're gonna be watching that pretty close and see see if unrolling those nutrients that we bought in hay from somebody else's place, putting them on our farm, if, if that's, for us, that's our most economical way that we can fertilize anything. Maybe that'll have to be a pasture walk in 2024 when you have the field day <laughs> at your operation, Dakota. Yeah, that'd be um, great. Yeah. No, I just want to lend my support. Yeah, let's do the pasture walk on that piece in 2024. That sounds really good to me. Yeah, yeah, that'll I'm be good. Excited I'm excited to see what the soil tests say. 
Well, Dakota, thanks for uh, your time today. And we want to be respectful of it or else we could talk all night long. But um, if folks want to contact you or reach you, are you out there online, on Facebook? Where can folks reach out? Yeah, I think I'm on Facebook. Uh, I may be slow to respond on that. Uh, we do have a new website that's not quite finished yet, but you can look us up on that. It's windyacrescattle.com. And also on the uh, South Pole website, we have a producer profile that's got most all my information if anybody wants to reach out. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Glad Thanks, you could. Thank y'all. I tell you what, folks, I love doing this podcast because every time I interview somebody, I always learn something. Dakota had so many good things to say today. I just I just don't even know where to start. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed his interview. Again, if you want to reach out to him, you can find him online at WendyAcresCattle.com. He's also on Facebook. But folks, thank you so much for tuning in today. Again, don't forget about the South Pole Field Day. Go ahead and register for that. And you can find us on Facebook as well. You can find us at South Pole Grass Cattle Association, which is our official page. Or you can find us at the South Pole Grass Cattle Forum, which is where a lot of great conversation happens. There's a lot of questions asked, a lot of questions answered. And it's a page that I check regularly. So. Last but not least, folks, if you have anything that you want Dole and I to cover in our podcast regarding South Poles, please send us an email. Um, if you have a critique for our podcast, send us an email. We'll we'll listen to it for sure. So it's uh, to reach us at southpolemedia at gmail.com. And until next time, folks, happy grazing.